you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. Welcome to a brand new week and a brad new edition of Tapeheads Draft Season. Bob Wachusen, longtime radio voice of the New York Jets and an ESPN college football broadcaster for, boy, going on 20 years now, I think. It's a little scary to think about that. And uh, Greg Cosell's much older than me. He's been doing this for over 40 years, <laughs> breaking down the tape, the All-22 for NFL Films for the better part of four-plus decades. And... Um, you know, we try to, on this podcast, dig behind the draft, dig behind the X's and O's, dig deeper, and give you a perspective as we lead up to the draft that hopefully is, a, as we said, a deeper dive into football than you're going to get anywhere else. This is not the mock draft podcast. This is more how teams put together their board, how they evaluate positions, the whole process that goes into it. Later on this week, our episode that will drop on Thursday, we will talk to longtime NFL general manager with the Jets and the Dolphins, Mike Tannenbaum. So we'll do a, a pretty uh, deep dive with Mike T into how he put together his board and what his draft experiences are. Uh, but Greg, we're going to start this week with the tight end position because this is a position that has gone through probably – about as much of an evolutionary process in football yeah. over the last 20 to 30 years as any position in the sport, right? There was a time where back in the 80s, there were some tight ends that were some big-time playmakers. And then football seemed to minimize the tight end. In like the glory days of the wide receiver, the tight ends became, and you you know, tweaked me and brought back horrible memories of the Kyle Brady draft with the Jets, but like there was a time where teams seem to concentrate on just the blocking ability of a tight yeah. end, as if he was a fullback, as if he was an extra offensive lineman. Now we are absolutely back in an era, even more so than ever before, of the tight end as a skill, true skill position. So how do you think that evolutionary process continues today and, and even factors into this draft class? There's so much to unpack there, Bob. I mean, yeah. I, as you were speaking, I would, so many thoughts were going through my head. And I just want to start with just a little football history because the first coach that really saw the tight end as a detached split player and as a receiver first was Don Coriel. 
when they drafted Kellen Winslow back in might have been 79. Uh, Winslow, obviously, Kellen Winslow Sr., uh, was a very athletic tight end. Uh, there hadn't really been an athlete quite like him yet. He, Mike Dick obviously uh, played. I think there was Jackie Smith with the Cardinals. Uh, but Kellen Winslow was a different breed. Yep. And the the old school tight end lined up attached to the formation right next to the offensive tackle, obviously. So they they looked at Winslow, and Joe Gibbs was on that staff. A lot of people might not know that. Joe Gibbs was on Don Coriel's staff. And Joe Gibbs was the one who basically said, hey, this guy's such a good receiver. When we put him and line him up attached to the tight end, he just gets bumped and hit and chucked, and he can't get into his routes. And he's such a good receiver, we want him to catch the ball. So let's get him out of there. Let's get him away from the bodies, and let's split him out. And that was relatively brand new in football. And all of a sudden, you saw the tight end as a split player. And that was back in the day, Bob, where defenses did not play a lot of what we now just know as sub-defenses, meaning five defensive backs, six defensive backs. So what would very often happen is Kellen Winslow, this 6'5", 250-pound dynamic athlete, would split out and either a, a safety who was a strong safety in those days, almost like a linebacker, or a linebacker would have to go out and cover him because teams played far more man coverage in those days, and it was just a terrible mismatch. So that's where it all started. Then we went through the stage you talked about where, you know, a Mark Bruner from Pittsburgh is a first-round draft choice. A Kyle Brady with the Jets, I believe it was 96 maybe, if memory serves me correctly, is a first-round draft choice. He's essentially, you know, a smaller tackle. That's, that's what Kyle Brady was, but he was a top 15 pick. And then all of a sudden, we now see an era of football where it's spread offense in terms of formation, and tight ends have to be receivers. And I'll stop and let you jump in because there's a really another important element to this. But that's where we are in the NFL now with tight ends who are seen as valuable. They must be receivers first, and they must be able to be split from the formation. Has it tilted too far back in the other direction where they don't value the blocking ability enough? And there are teams that might pay for that a little bit because it's 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 tilted so yeah. far now back towards basically a lot of tight ends just being big slot receivers. Well, now you get into the run game and the nature of NFL run games, which years ago were all conventional in the sense that the quarterback was under center. Now you see so many run games where the quarterback's in the gun and the run games come out of spread formations. Now, there are times in every game, and there are certainly certain teams in the league, the Tennessee Titans, for instance, with Derrick Henry, certain teams that want to line up and run the ball in what would be considered old-school run games, and then you need your tight end as an attached blocker for the most part. Um, and there are certain teams that have those kinds of tight ends. So because teams now have two and three tight ends on their roster, and they like to have one that is essentially a run blocker. But you can also run the ball in the NFL out of spread formations. There's not one way to run the ball, and your tight end doesn't necessarily have to be an inline blocker who's going to block either defensive ends or stacked linebackers. Your run game does not have to be that. It is amazing looking even statistically at the tight ends of old and the tight ends of today. Like Ozzie Newsom, who was obviously in his day, I mean, a, a great top-level Pro Bowl level tight end. 
And Ozzie Newsom caught 662 passes in his career for 7,900 yards. You have guys current day that caught 30 or 40 fewer balls than Ozzie Newsom for like 2,000 more yards than he right. has done for his career. It's It just shows you the evolution, even the guys that we think of, like Kellen Winslow, of the big down-the-field threat receiving playmaking tight end back in the 70s, 80s, even the early to mid-90s. They just don't have the statistics to match up to what the tight ends are today and how that probably affects how teams draft defensively as well. Like We're talking about Kyle Hamilton being drafted as a top two, top three, top four pick in this draft. I think one of the biggest reasons why his position has so much more value to it than maybe a safety would have been thought of 5, 10, 12 years ago is, again, that evolution back to the tight end being such a receiving threat over the middle on so many teams – so many of their offensive systems and the ability for your safety to be able to go cover one of those guys yeah. has to be paramount, right? Yeah. Well, two quick points. Number one, Ozzie Newsom was a wide receiver at Alabama and they made him. A, That's true. And they made him a <laughs> and tight end. They made end. him a tight end. Yeah. I remember uh, back in whatever year that was that he came out, I remember watching the senior ball and Doug Williams throwing to Ozzie Newsom. That, I think he th- threw two touchdowns to Ozzie Newsom in the senior ball. But anyway, th- to play off your point, One of the things that is so critical now in the NFL, and you see it with almost every team, and therefore they look for tight ends like this, is teams line up when they line up with three wide receivers, what we call 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. They line up in what we call one by three sets, meaning the tight end is the single receiver to the short side of the field, and there's three wide receivers to the wide side of the field. Trips. So the tight end is what we call the boundary X on the backside of trips. Every team wants a tight end like that for a number of reasons. Number one, when you do that, it gives the quarterback far more information before the snap of the ball because of how the defense has to match up. Because if the defense, let's say, stays with the corner out there, there's a very good chance that they're playing zone. Now, it's not 100%, but there's a very, very good chance because who's going to match up to the inside slot receiver on trips? That means they'd have to match up to a wide receiver on the inside with a linebacker, and they don't. teams don't normally do that. So you want to have that tight end that can split out, not just because it gives the quarterback more information, but because he can win. You want him to be a guy that can win versus safeties or linebackers. Um, The Chiefs over the last two years have been the team that's lined up in this particular formation more than any other team. Why? They have Travis Kelsey. You mentioned Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton, and obviously we'll get to safeties at at some point here. But when all said and done now, the defense, it's changed for the defense. Safeties who 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, were viewed as, oh, you can get a safety anywhere. That's not the way defensive coordinators think about the safety position because you have got to match up to tight ends. So the tight end position has become a really, really important position in the way offensive coaches build and structure their offense overall and their pass game in particular. 
That's Greg Cosell on Bible Shoes. And not only are we going to take a look at some of the top tight end prospects coming up next, we'll take a look at this year's class. And if your team is a team that needs a tight end, there are some good ones in this draft. We're going to talk about those guys coming up. But also, a little bit later on in this episode, we're going to talk about the sleeper wide receivers. We did an episode a few weeks ago about the top end wide receivers, and we made mention of a couple of these guys. But there are some wide receivers that could slip third round, fourth round, fifth round even that your team might be able to grab a guy that turns out to be a longtime starter and a productive player for your team so the big time tight ends the sleeper wide receivers that is to come on this episode of tapeheads draft season coming right back you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. We are back here on Tapehead's draft season. Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell right now talking tight ends, sleeper wide receivers still to come. All right, Greg, let's dig into some of these tight end prospects, the ones that we expect are going to be the first ones off the board. Um, Look, I'm a Jets guy. <laughs> they just went They just went out and got a couple of tight ends in free agency. So maybe their focus changes a little bit. But I'm wondering if one of these players slips a bit, does he become one of those, 
I can't believe he's still there. Prohibitive talents that we have to take a little bit later on in the draft. Let's start with Trey McBride of Colorado State. Yeah, I think that he fits the profile of what we were speaking about. I think he can line up in multiple locations. I think he can be that boundary X tight end, the single receiver to the short side of the field. Now, he's not a great athlete. For instance, when I finished watching McBride and I saw all his numbers, you know, his measurables, what I did is I looked up Travis Kelsey because I was just curious to see what the comparison was. Because McBride, by the way, played um, a lot of boundary X at Colorado State, and he made a lot of catches from that alignment. So you saw him do that on tape. Um, now, obviously, he didn't play in the SEC or, or you know, one of the so-called great, great conferences, but he did that in college. So Kelsey's measurables, his pre-draft measurables, were better than McBride's in every area. So McBride is not Kelsey in terms of what he can be just as a pure athlete, but I think McBride is the is is tight end one in this draft class. And I think that he can line up and be a receiver. He can detach and split from the formation. Uh, he was the most complete tight end prospect uh, with his competitiveness and ability as an attached blocker, because you do have to do that at times. Um, but for the most part, you're dealing with a guy that is really a receiver, I think, first and foremost. And I, I think he can do that at the NFL level. He just won't do it at the highest athletic level that you'd like to see. Let's get to UCLA tight end Greg Dulcich. Oh, I find him to be really, really fascinating. Um, you know, he's probably not a blocker. Uh, and I think, you know, therefore he's not a guy you would necessarily use as an attached player. But I think he fits the profile of what teams are looking for in today's NFL. He's got build-up speed. He's got stride length. He can run the vertical seams. See, that's the other issue, Bob, in today's NFL. You'd love to have your tight end be a three-dimension threat, be a, a vertical threat as well, three-level threat. Uh, and he can run the intermediate crossers, the deeper crossers. We saw him do that at UCLA. Another tight end that can line up in multiple locations in the formation. And when you can stretch the field, that changes your offense and it changes how the defense has to play against your offense. So, uh, you know, I remember speaking to so many coaches at the Combine this year, and it's funny how the world has changed with offensive football, Bob, because the number one thing that offensive coaches now say is the priority of offense is explosive plays. And Greg Dolches is the kind of receiver that can give you that. So there's no doubt he'll play in the league. Certainly his snap count and target volume will be a function of team and scheme, but his athletic and receiving traits will get him in the NFL and will make him a factor at some point, if not as a rookie. Jelani Woods, uh, Virginia. Yeah. Did you do any Virginia games by any chance? I did not. I saw them a couple of times against teams that we were then going to have but did not call one of their games. Because this kid, you know, I don't know if you noticed him at all. I mean, this kid is over 6'7 and 253 pounds. Yeah, he's not hard to find. No, no. <laughs> and he, and for whatever it's worth, he ran a 46140, which is pretty good for a guy that size. And I think he's just scratching the surface of what he can become as a receiving tight end. I mean, you're talking rare size, good movement, good hands, body control, run after catch competitiveness. He certainly doesn't have a lot of experience, so therefore he may not be the guy that you say, hey, let's draft him and plug him in. I think he's still learning the tight end position as he's playing it. 
but there's really a lot to like and develop. I mean, he's a plus athlete, not a great athlete, a plus athlete, and stride length. Stride length is something I had to learn over time. Years ago, I'd watch receivers, tight ends, you know, and I would I would look at them and and I'd say, oh, gee, they're not really fast. But all of a sudden, they'd eat up a lot of ground because of stride length. And I kind of had to learn that that's a trait. Um, and he has enough build-up speed to be a factor on vertical routes and crossing routes. He can post up defenders. He can play above the rim to make tough contested catches. Um, I think he's one of the most intriguing overall prospects in the draft and certainly one of the most intriguing tight end prospects in this draft. I have a question along those lines, but let's squeeze in Charlie Kolar of Iowa State. Then we'll kind of double back and talk maybe philosophically about how the traits that you're talking about some of these players having fit in today's NFL. But give us a, a little, you know, thumbnail on Kolar. Yeah, Kohler's a very intriguing guy because he he possesses the the kind of movement and overall athleticism that you you know he doesn't quite have that, um, but his size and his length and and to me he looks bigger and plays bigger than his measurables. Um, he's got great hands. He's got a wide catching radius. Um, he makes tough catches. You know, here's a guy that's probably not truly a vertical threat. He's more a short to intermediate threat, but he catches everything. You know, when I think of a, of a Charlie Kolar, I tend to think more along the lines of, let's say, a Zach Ertz. Because mm-hmm. I never saw Zach Ertz as a true vertical dimension. Obviously, you can scheme up a vertical shot with any receiver at times, but you would you would never think of Zach Ertz in the same way you think of Kelsey or or Darren Waller or the or even someone like Jared Cook, who was a true vertical player. Um, but Charlie Kolar is just one of those guys that works the short to intermediate areas really well. He had an intuitive feel for creating space to catch the ball. So he's going to play in the league. He's not one of those guys that's going to be a top 50 pick, but I would bet whoever gets him is going to find out that he'll be a productive player. Back to Woods for a second, and just philosophically with the tight end position. Yeah. I mean, there are, look, you come to the NFL, if you are drafted in the top two or three rounds, they want you to immediately come in and help and produce. Sure. I mean, that's, you know, the, you're, you're thought of as being taken with a high leverage pick. But how much room is there specifically at the tight end spot for being a project? Like, how, how much of a learning curve is there in today's NFL with the complication of the offensive systems? Yeah. All of the different things that a tight end is now asked to do. If you're Jelani Woods, what's out in front of you when now you got to go, as you said, he might just be scratching the surface from an ability standpoint and what he could be, but that can be a big ask to now go to the pros yeah. and learn how to play that position. Yeah, I think there's a lot there because keep keep in mind that you do have to be able to block in the run game and you have to be able to block in the run game from multiple alignments, whether you're attached or flexed or split, you have to be able to block. Number two, there's going to be snaps in which you have to pass protect as well. So you have to learn that and be able to do that. Then you have to be able to run multiple route concepts from different locations within the formation. So you you have to learn a lot of things at the NFL level that maybe you didn't do very much at the college level. So tight end is becoming a position because it's essentially an inline position and a split position. It's essentially a position where you have to be a factor in the run game, in pass protection, and in the pass game as a receiver. So there's a lot of different elements that you have to be able to execute at a 
pretty high level in order to be on the field if you're going to be tight end one for a team and not just play 15 or 20 snaps in a game. So there's much to learn, Bob, when you talk about what does a tight end have to do. It makes it a lot different than tight ends, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Right. And I guess the interesting part would be to be in one of these war rooms if one of these extremely athletic, gifted, pass-catching tight ends is on the board. You need a tight end. But the scouting department is all looking at each other going, guys, he can't block me, right? He's a really gifted receiver. He has been brought up through a college program that pretty much just asked him to go catch the football. We don't have any tape on him blocking anybody. Right. So now how does that guy's value get affected in the (laughs) NFL? Because because now, I mean, and again, we are in an era now where the tight end is thought of much more as a pass-catching skill position weapon type than an inline guy that's going to give you a sixth offensive lineman type. So that that yin and yang when they're trying to decide if they're going to draft a tight end that can go catch the ball but can't block anybody. And that's a great point. And there are tight ends in the NFL like that now. Gerald Everett, when he was in college, Gerald Everett, ne- I don't want to say never, but he rarely ever lined up attached next to the tackle. He was essentially a split player. By the way, so was Tyler Higbee. He was the same way when he was at Western Kentucky when uh, your buddy Mike White was the quarterback. Mike White was throwing to Tyler Higbee at Western Kentucky. And when all said and done, you know, Higbee had to learn how to play as an attached player, which, by the way, he's done okay with the Rams. But guys have to learn that. You're starting from scratch. You never know for certain how that's going to work out. Some guys can do it and some guys can't. And, you know, just watching a guy on at his pro day or at the combine hit a few bags, you know, that doesn't really tell you whether he can do that at the highest level of football. Uh, whichever general manager that was just calling you right now, tell them to hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to hear our next segment. They probably think we just did the sleeper wide receiver segment. Yeah, that's right. And they're that's trying right. to call you to pick your brain, right? So if you're a general manager out there and you want to know who to draft, say, fourth round or later, and find a diamond in the rough at wide receiver, that's coming up next. Greg's film study has gotten deeper. So his list of players takes us not only back to the wide receivers, but some of those sleeper prospects that are worth an extra look after the first or second round. We will get to those guys when we come back on Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. 
Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Bob Oshuz and Craig Cosell back on Tapehead's draft season. All right, we hit the premier wide receivers in an earlier episode. And as we get closer to the draft and teams really start to finalize their boards, we'll circle back to those guys and talk after the pro days are all done and obviously the combine now in the rearview mirror, free agency being over. That might change where some of those wide receivers are being thought of. But what's never going to change is if you have a player that you think is a diamond in the rough, you have him as a second-round grade, and all of a sudden you may not need a wide receiver, you may not need X position, but that player is on the board in the fourth round, you might be compelled to take him. And I wonder if some of these guys we're going to talk about fit in that category. How about Tyquan Thornton of Baylor? Yeah, I was fascinated by Tyquan Thornton because Tyquan Thornton is a track guy as well as a receiver, and but he's not just a track guy. And I'm going to say something in a minute that might blow people away, but I'm going to say it. But I think he's one of the more intriguing wide receiver prospects in this draft with his length and speed profile. Now, he's got a rail thin frame. He's 6'2 and a half, 181 pounds. Um, he may be, along with Jamison Williams, the most vertically explosive receiver in the class. And his track speed consistently showed up on tape. He got on top of and ran by corners. Now, at Baylor, he lined up almost exclusively on the outside. Um, but I thought that there was some refinement to his game as well, particularly defeating press coverage. And he was competitively tough and gritty. A trade almost, he's from South Florida. Almost all South Florida receivers possess that kind of grit. Um, so I'm watching this kid, Tyquan Thornton, and he's really, there's a physical dimension to his game, even though he's 181 pounds. And I'm thinking to myself, he reminds me a lot of Chris Olave, but he's physically tougher than Chris Olave. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you he should be drafted before him, but Tyquan Thornton, to me, was one of the most intriguing wideouts I watched. And he is going to get drafted, and he is going to play in the league. Do you think there are programs, before we get to some of these other guys, where the program that they play at becomes a little bit of a handicap for that guy in terms of how they're viewed in the draft? Like Baylor has had some explosive athletes at wide receiver, but there have been some misses. Right now, the Jets are suffering through Denzel Mims being a second-round pick. He just hasn't produced. Right. Um, 
you know, and we talked about Baylor even, you know, a few years ago being the, a program that would line up a lot of times in two-by-two and just run a play to half the field. And the other receiver, and yeah, yeah. And the opposite side of the field, the two receivers wouldn't even leave the line of scrimmage. <laughs> no, they would, they, like, they'd trot, like, two or three steps and just stop and go to sleep. Yeah, So yeah, yeah. if you're Tyquan Thornton, are you at all a victim of the program that you play at in terms of how the NFL views you as a player? Well, different coaching staff this year. You know, Dave Aranda was there this year yep. at Baylor. So different offensive coordinator, different system. You know, the one you were talking about, was was it Art Bryles at the time? It was, sure. And, and I remember Coleman was the 20th pick in the draft. Was, was it Cleveland who drafted him? Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, but he was a perfect example of that. He could run fast, explosive athlete, but you didn't – on tape, you'd see him half the plays. He just stood there at the line of scrimmage, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but uh, I think – look, I think there's no question, because I've had a lot of conversations with coaches and scouts, that – Certain conferences are seen at a higher level. Look, there's a lot of coaches that would tell you they would draft a backup from Alabama as opposed to a, I don't want to say a number one guy, but a starter at, you know, a school that's not in the SEC. You know, so I think that that does factor in. So I don't know how someone like Tyquan Thornton will be looked at. You know, let's say Tyquan Thornton played at Ohio State instead of, of Chris Olave. He probably put up the same numbers and would he be seen differently by people, you know, in the scouting and coaching community? That's an unanswerable, but we could speculate. Yeah, and my guess I, mean, I would is argue, yes, he probably would. That he'd be seen the same? No, differently. I think he would be seen because of the just the style of play in that league. I think, you know, probably a little bit more NFL-esque. I would agree. Oh, I, that's, you know, yes. I, I do yes. think that they, yes. they probably would be maybe a few slots higher um, if he puts up those numbers, you know, Big Ten football than maybe Big 12 football. And I agree with that a, a thousand percent. And you know what? You mentioned backups at Alabama. Since you just said that, let's get to this next guy who was at one point for, you know, a decent part of his career a starter at Alabama, and that's John Mechie, ah. who, you know, I mean, he's got an injury that probably puts him on this list. So where do you take Mechie and and slot him in in this draft? Well, first of all, I think John Mechie is a big-time prospect, and, and he's coming off the ACL, so I don't know, you know, what that means for teams. Right. But to me, Mechie is, he's got the look of an NFL wide receiver. I watched both his 2020 tape and his 2021 tape, and let's assume a full recovery. I mean, to me, the player he reminded me of was Robert Woods. To me, Mechie, at his core, is a route technician. He's got a great feel for the pace and tempo of different routes. He's got a detailed and refined understanding of how to set up and work corners. He, he knows how to get them off their spot. That's what you're trying to do, particularly with corners and off coverage. You're trying to get them off their, their spot. He has a great feel for finding voids in zone. Um, there's a subtlety and a nuance and a polish to his route running. While he's not a true vertical threat, I think his route running, Bob, gives him an opportunity to get over the top at times. Um, I really like John Mechie's tape. Um, like I said, assuming full recovery, he won't be seen as explosive, nor was Robert Woods coming out of USC. I believe Woods was a second-round pick. Woods just got traded to Tennessee, but Woods has had a really, really good career. Um, I think Mechie can be that kind of guy. Uh, a player keeping it in the SEC that I did see a couple of times this year, which I liked a lot, was Makai Polk from Mississippi ah. State. Now, having said that, he comes from 
probably the most modern day or current day version of what we were talking yes. about with the how much does the system yes. maybe warp the numbers and affect the player we're looking at from an NFL standpoint. You got the Mike Leach, you know, air raid system at Mississippi State. But Makai Polk, I thought, against SEC talent, putting up those kinds of numbers, uh, certainly worthy of a relatively high draft choice. Yeah, and I, I really liked him. I didn't know anything about him. He was one of those guys that was totally virgin territory for me. So I, I put the tape on, and look, obviously he doesn't have great speed. I think he was timed at 4.59, but I, I don't know what that means because I caution people that De DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas ran, I think, 4.57 and 4.58 uh, at their combine. So, you know, that in of itself, yes, so he's not a, a burner straight line speed, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot. Now, he lined up almost exclusively on the outside to the right side of the formation. So he's going to have to learn how to line up in different spots. And there is a meaningful learning curve to that. But he's got length. He showed some detail and nuance as a route runner. He's got really good body control and ball skills. Um, you know, I think that this guy actually has a lot of good receiving traits and maybe it takes time. And this is where... Um, you know, and we're going to talk to to Mike Tannenbaum later this week, and I'd be very curious to get his take on this kind of thing about the learning curve for certain players, because th I think that's a big factor when teams draft players who come from systems that don't ask them to do a lot. So Makai Polk, to me, has a lot of ability and a lot to work with, but I don't know Makai Polk, obviously, so I don't know how his learning curve and his ability to learn will be seen. But there's much to like about him when you watch his tape. All right. How about Calvin Austin from Memphis? Ah, Calvin Austin, he he's fascinating to watch. I think he could be a guy that breaks the mold a little bit because he's 5'7", little more than 5'7". And I think he's just over 170 pounds. But he ran a 4-3-2 at the combine. I didn't I didn't need to see him run a 4-3-2. The tape told me he was fast. Um he lined up predominantly on the outside at Memphis and he beat press coverage. He understood how to run routes. He attacked the ball. Um he challenged corners. Um I I don't think this guy is a just a, a piece that I don't want to use the word gimmick, but I don't think this guy's just a situational piece. I think he can be more than that. And I hate to throw the name Tyree Kill out. Tyree Kill's a little bigger man, but I think in the right situation, Calvin Austin could really be a dynamic, explosive receiver. Um, for our fantasy fans out there, I'm not suggesting he's going to catch 95 or 100 balls, but I think he's much more than just a situational player that you throw out there just to run one or two routes and maybe run a jet sweep, Bob. I think he can be much more than that, despite the 5'8", 170 pounds. And a guy you actually brought up, who I had multiple times this year calling games for ESPN as well, you brought this guy up when we were talking about the primetime receivers, right? Like the guys we think that yeah. could go in the first or high in the second round as a sleep. I mean, he jumped out at you as a sleeper in relation to those guys, and that's Alec Pierce from uh, Cincinnati. Really productive player. Yeah, yeah. So you, you've seen him then, Alec yep. Pierce. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. I, I don't know what you thought of him, but I think – you throw it, he catches it. I mean, that's pretty much like yeah, he, yeah. he just finds a way to make a catch. I mean, he plays big and long and fast with his stride length. He has really good body control and hands to make contested catches. I think he's a factor on those kinds of throws. He's a red zone factor. 
I thought at the top of his route stem, he had a sense of separation quickness and burst. There was a powerful feel to his movement. He was 208 pounds at the combine, but there was a powerful feel to his movement. I mean, you're dealing with a guy whose profile is stride length, body control, physical competitiveness, hands. Um, you wouldn't call him purely sudden or explosive, but he wasn't, you know, he's not twitchy, but he certainly wasn't slow. Um, I, I got to tell you, and this will come, of course, as a big, bold, controversial take. I never think of myself as making bold, controversial takes, Bob. I think of myself as watching the tape and drawing conclusions from tape study. But I liked Alec Pierce more than I liked Drake London. Wow. Based on tape. Didn't, I might be misremembering this, but didn't you bring up Anquan Bolden's name when we were talking about Pierce, maybe when we had this conversation about, like just that, maybe not the the explosive run away from you athlete, but just big and strong and can go challenge a defender and make a catch in almost any circumstance. Yeah, I might not have brought up Bolden with Pierce. I might, I might have brought up Bolden with some others, but because Pierce... He ran really well. Bolden, I was at the combine when Bolden, by the way, ran a 4.72, and there was an audible sigh in the dome <laughs> that this guy could not play in the NFL because he I ran a 4.72. I think they got that one wrong. Yeah. So, you know, again, we, we've probably discussed that before, but yeah. that's why 40 times can be very misleading. <clears throat> but I just really like Alec Pierce's tape. Um, I think he's a pro. I Again, as you've said many times, we're not here to for me to say where a guy's going to get drafted. I have no idea. But... Um, I think Alec Pierce will play in the league, and I think Alec Pierce will be a good pro wide receiver. Well, those are great guys to keep if you're a, a football nerd like we are. Your eyes on uh, day two, even day three, you know, over the weekend of the draft because you're, you're going to see some of these names pop up. And if they fall on the draft board for your team, uh, Greg's telling you, you should be happy. And speaking of, you know, formulating the draft board, we're going to come back on Thursday and be joined by a former NFL general manager, Mike Tannenbaum. Ran the Jets, ran the Dolphins. How does he go through the evaluation process? We'll talk prospects with him. Perhaps his biggest hit and maybe his miss in his drafting days as well. So Mike T joins us in our Thursday episode. Hopefully you will listen. You will rate, you'll subscribe, and you'll join us on Thursday. Thanks so much for being a tape head. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.